Right, if you could choose any reptile to give birth to live young, what would it be and why? Does it have to be a still existent reptile? Uh, ideally for the purposes of of what I will be doing with the information, but okay, for, okay, for casual That's... purposes, if you want to choose I mean, extinct, I, I mean, look, my 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 only real answer I have to this is an is an, is extinct, and I want a T Rex to give live birth because I love the thought of a T Rex popping out of another T Rex and just like the second it hits the floor, being like, ah, I'm here. <laughs> Just, just you know how like gi- giraffes—they're born and like within seconds they're like, yeah, I got this. I'm, I'm moving. Oh around. yeah, they just. Get I right just back want up. A, yeah. a tiny little T Rex to just pop out and be like, yeah, here I am. Let's let's devour. That'd be brilliant. I like. like it'd be hell for the T Rex midwives though, like because they ain't got the arms to pull. <laughs> like <laughs> I don't know what your purposes are, and I'm sorry this is unhelpful, but that is my answer. Oh no, no, no! It's still valuable data. It can still um, we can still use that in the control, at least in the pre-trials. Conrad? Mm, mm. Uh, you know, I think it would just be entertaining to watch snakes give live birth. Oh, that! Oh, oh, that would that would just be a rope making another coming rope coming out of a rope. Yeah, a rope yeah. coming out of a rope. Yeah, it's like you know, some dude taking yeah. a shit with tapeworms. That is a good answer. That is a shit. good answer with tapeworms. Excellent. Right, I'm going to send that to the boys at the lab. Um, and I'm not being uh, like gendered there. They are all boys, uh, aged between twelve and fifteen. It's very illegal. We are we are breaking so <laughs> many labour laws at that lab. Look, I don't want to stereotype either, but like that is the only people I can imagine working in this particular lab. I'm glad to hear that's the only people working in that lab. No one else should be in the snakes giving birth to snakes lab. <laughs> It's specifically why we set the lab up in the Midwest, because they are making it legal for children to work there. Oh, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, they're only getting more and more relaxed, uh, unlike the uh, the snakes that we will be procuring soon. Um, very valuable data indeed. You know, people don't like to hear about these, uh, what they call cruel, unethical experiments, but, you know. Nobody wants to know how the sausage is made. Right, or... Cheerios in this case. This is how they're made, <laughs> by the way, listeners. This is how Cheerios are made. <laughs> by making animals that shouldn't give birth to live young give birth to live young. And the afterbirth is um, dried out, desiccated, uh, uh, and then put in a box and then, then distributed among various... It's not just Cheerios. like It's, it's the entire cereal industry. It's all uh, live young reptile afterbirth. God, that'd be fucking funny. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Could you could you imagine like <laughs> the complexity that would have to go into, and then it's discovered that oh, well, this this runoff, this is a a good a good breakfast product. The kids I mean, will love it. It's how we discover so many things, you know, penicillin mm. discovered mm. by that bit of dirty bread. Viagra uh, discovered because they were trying to come make a, a heart medication, I believe. They are like the best things in life. Cheerios, penicillin, and Viagra. Those are the three best things as voted for in Forbes magazine. All the result of experiments uh, and accidents within them. Um, or, you know, just happy accidents, as Bob Ross would say. Bob Ross, of course, being the inventor of Viagra. Also, something that would be very entertaining. Oh, absolutely. Bob Ross discovering that he has an erection for more than four hours that he can't put down. <laughs> oh, God, that would not be a happy little tree. 
big and angry. Bob Bob Ross is big, angry redwood. <laughs> oh God, that's that's a DVD. <laughs> oh God, I know someone that can do the voice, so I'm going to get my camcorder and pitch them a, a straight oh, to DVD yeah. film, um, which we will uh, send to the men at the lab. Wonderful. Wonderful. Hello, everyone. Hello, Laura. Hey. Hello, Conrad. Hey, How are it's you? Position. Yes, we are here. I'm. 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 I'm good. I. I. I can talk about this now. I am spending this week recording an audiobook version of Gender Euphoria, which is wonderful. It's coming mm. out. Uh, I think the 28th of November. Uh, but it does mean my voice is. It's walking the line of survivability. I'm doing some very lengthy recording days in a booth somewhere. So that's how my week's doing. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah, uh, I, I guess I'll also just front load with a bit of thingy. Um, if you look up True Grit Wrestling on YouTube, uh, they finally published the match between myself and Kid Bandit, the no disqualification match. Uh, believed to be the first... I think it's the first match in the UK between trans femmes. It might be between two trans people. Um singles match although that may be me and helen campbell either way i'm in it that's the important part um but certainly the first main event between trans wrestlers in the uk um and and between non-binary as well so but i mean that's less important than the fact that there's a barbed wire blast shark poke balls full of thumbtacks um assault via boggling um i go through a table and a door it's a white, like you know it's a good match when the commentators are laughing too hard to call the match um but they were freaking out um because they've never seen anything like it so that's a true grit wrestling on youtube um i'm incredibly it's the best match i've ever done like it is a 27 minute riot um and and our good for mutual friend echo is there um in that yeah. match you can see them involved see their betrayal as as they um they and Amy held my arms wide open for Kid Bandit to kick my head off. And it really, I really felt that one as well. So just so Echo knows that, that was the kick that hurt the most in the match. Not just my heart, but my actual head as well, love. I, I can say one thing about this match, which is I knew the footage had gone live because all I've been seeing on TikTok this morning is multiple accounts reposting you getting beaten with a barbed wire wrapped blahage. Yeah, that that that's been doing numbers this morning. And that has been the one that's been going round. Yes, <laughs> I actually I'm uh, looking at it right now. I still have the barbed wire blast shark. Um, yeah. there were two of them actually. We were going to deal, but um, we ended up uh, with just the beatdown. Um, yeah, so hell of a match, hell of a match, and the barbed wire blast shark is just like it's not even the wildest thing that happens in the match. Like, it's the bit that blew up, because obviously, barbed wire blast shark. But the whole match, almost beginning to end, is is full of very unique <laughs> situations. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I'm proud of that. Uh, I guess we could talk about video games, because I do have, like I said, i got to be gone um, within the hour mm. that we started, because I've got a meeting with... Um, well, with the Vampire Survivor folks. Um, that's all I'm going to say. Nothing big and dramatic, um, but just having a bit of a, a chatette 
Mm. Um, so that's cool. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, video games, they happened. Yeah, they did. Um, would anyone mind if I jumped in with one first? Because I got a thing I'm really, I got a lot of thoughts to talk about. Oh, please, please go right ahead. I want to bring up if that's all right. So I had the opportunity last week, and I can talk about it now, to go and check out at a preview event the PS5 access controller, uh, PlayStation's new accessibility controller they're doing. Um, I got to spend a pretty decent amount of time with it. Um, I think like seven hours I spent across like a batch of games. And I've spent the last week trying to put my thoughts together on this controller. Um, for anyone who hasn't seen it, it is uh, it is a circle of buttons with a joystick or analog stick sort of attached to the side of it. I'm trying to work out how to how to talk about this thing. So one of these alone is not by itself necessarily a full replacement for a DualSense controller. In practice a lot of people are going to end up picking up two of these. And I want to say that up front before I get into describing sort of how this controller setup works, because I think it's important to sort of acknowledge that reality of it. Accessibility controllers are not cheap, and this one is like £80 for one of them, which means like a pair is about £160, which is like comparable to some other accessibility controllers, but it's still a thing worth noting. So each of these controllers... Uh, smaller than I thought they were from from image renders, they're a little longer than a standard computer mouse, but as a circle, uh, which meant that like it was much more of a device that I could like rest my hand on and have like my thumb and four of my fingers on different buttons, my palm on a button, so and my wrist sort of ready to to hit a button, and like my palm able to hit the big button in the center, and it was like a surprisingly comfortable like thing to rest my hand on. Um, I don't know why I'd pictured it being much larger from the images that had been put out. That was everyone I spoke to's experience was being surprised at the size of it. Um, uh, there is not enough buttons and inputs on this thing to fully replace a DualSense by itself. A DualSense controller has, off the top of my head, I think it's 16 buttons, and there's about 8 or 9 buttons per access controller, so a pair of these will basically replicate everything on a dual sense and because they've each got an analog stick attached to them you two analog sticks each of them also has four uh ports for putting in external peripherals and this is sort of the biggest difference between this and like the xbox adaptive controller because the xbox adaptive controller or to a different extent the hori flex on the nintendo switch are primarily designed to be hubs for external buttons and switches they are very customizable with third-party peripherals so that you can just plug in whatever bits you need, put them wherever you need them to be, and, like, create your own setup. The access controllers are clearly designed first and foremost to be standalone accessibility controllers that you sort of get them out of the box and that's what they are and you're not going to need anything else. Um... For some people, holding a DualSense in one hand and using one of these access controllers will do. For some people, will be using two of them. And the sort of tr- trade-off that it feels like they've made to sort of reinforce this idea of how they want it used is that while like the Xbox Adaptive Controller has, I think, 20 inputs for external peripherals, the PS5 access controllers have four ports on each for a total of eight, which considerably limits the ability to use it as a hub for external peripherals if that's the use case you have as a disabled gamer. 
having played around with them, I do really like them. Um, for my personal use case as someone that has slowly deteriorating coordination and uh, hand pain issues that come and go and intermittently needs to use, you know, non-standard controllers, I found these really natural to get into a flow of using. There was not nearly as much of a adjustment period of getting into them as I expected there to be. There is very little guidance given on how to set these up, and I think that's deliberate. They, they, they don't want to steer you in a direction of how these are supposed to be set up. And over the course of a day, I found a rhythm that worked, like a setup that worked for most big 3D, 3D sort of action games I wanted to be playing. I took like half the buttons off the, uh, the, the bottom half of the controller so I could sort of rest my hand in a more comfortable position, mapped a lot of my face buttons to my right hand and used my left hand for like triggers and bumpers and uh, my left stick and stuff that was less commonly activated. And I was pretty confidently able to start like getting into 3D games and it was a really nice experience. And I got on very well with it. Like my personal use case, I really enjoy what this offers. As someone that doesn't use accessibility controllers frequently, that uses them intermittently, I like having a controller that I can just sort of set up and it keeps the sort of button mapping saved on the controller. And I don't have to worry about plugging external stuff into it. I just turn it on and it's ready and I, I start playing. That's a great fit for me. But it feels like there is no reason that this controller had to have such a limited number of external hubs. And I can see really clearly that this is going to limit who this is for. This controller, they started developing it in 2018, which was the year the, the Xbox Adaptive Controller was released. It seems pretty clear development started as a direct response to the Xbox Adaptive Controller's uh, release. And I'd hoped that five years later, we would see a controller released that was just an objective step forward from the Xbox Adaptive Controller. And I think if a version of the, the PS5 Access Controller had been released that had enough hubs that someone who can't use the, the Access Controller's buttons itself could simply use it or a pair of them as a hub solution, like the Xbox Adaptive Controller, I think this would be an objective step forward but it's not. It is a step sideways. For some people like me, it is going to be a better solution. For other people, it's just not going to work. Um, and I think that PlayStation's like... It, it almost felt, when talking to PlayStation employees who'd been involved in the development of this thing, it almost felt like there was a little bit of arrogance in their design. And I say that in the politest way. And what I mean by that is... Whenever I asked, like, what went into the decision to only have four external ports on each of these, the response was, well, we want this to be a controller that, you know, that, that is a standalone controller that you don't need external switches for. And I'm like, yes, but what about people who do? Like, it wouldn't have hurt to also accommodate them. And it really feels like a misstep. It feels like a design choice made to be different for the sake of differentiation, to say they did something different. And that is frustrating. And it's a shame, because I really like this controller in a lot of ways. There's a lot of things about it that I really hope get ported to the main system software for the PlayStation 5 and don't 
get left as uh, unique things about the access controller. Uh, when you're setting the access controller up, you can do things like set one button press to do two button inputs at once, if you have trouble pressing two buttons at the same time for games that require that. Uh, for games that don't have the option to turn off button holds and turn them to toggles, you can just do that on a system level, so you press a button and it toggles a hold on and off. These are all really nice features that I hope we see come to DualSense. I hope they're not just for people buying this new accessibility controller. And in a similar vein, I was a little frustrated by um, some of the features this access controller has aren't available for DualSense users currently. Things like, um, you can use two DualSense controllers right now as if they were one, um, in something similar to Xbox's co-pilot mode. But you can't reorient the position and the analog stick direction and remap one of those controllers separately from the other, if that's what you need, which is something Xbox offers. And I asked them about that, and their response was, well, there's one way to hold a DualSense controller. It's like this. And it just felt, like, very dismissive of... It, it feels like PlayStation has, like, a very clear image of this is how you use the controllers we have, including this new one, this new accessibility one, this is how you're going to use it. That feels like it doesn't line up with the fact that accessibility needs really differ, and the best thing you can do for accessibility is go, I don't care if reorienting a DualSense isn't the official company position of how it's oriented, If why not let people do it if it's going to help them? And that kind of pervaded my time with this this access controller, because, like, as I say, I personally had a really positive experience with it, but I couldn't help notice things like PlayStation did not provide any external buttons or switches at the preview event. If you had not thought to bring your own 3.5mm external peripherals, you could not test this thing with external buttons and switches. That feels like... It's giving this message of, that's not what this is for, when a lot of people kind of are going to need this to be what that does. Um, so yeah, best way I can put it is it is a sidestep. For people like me, this is a really, really clean, efficient way to do an accessibility controller that's going to be really great for me. But I really wish that this just had a few more open ports on it. So that I could say, hey, if you don't have a console right now and are looking to buy a like a modern console, the PS5 has the best accessibility controller option available. I can't do that. I currently have to go, do you need it to be a hub, or are you okay with two sort of fixed position things? Which of those is a better solution for you? That's the console di direction you should be going. So yeah, that was my big thing this week, was um, spending a lot of time trying to put together complicated thoughts about an accessibility controller that I'm excited about, but I'm kind of bummed out about this, like some of the stuff surrounding it. That's a shame. You can tell that the, the game industry is really trying. Like, they've yeah. made, the past couple of years, made a huge, and I think you've had no small amount of influence in that. I think you've been a big part of, of driving that. But it is clear that they don't entirely get it. They don't... They don't 100% get it, what what it is people need and why. Yeah. It is clear that, and, and I will say this in the, the broadest sense possible, the, the sense I have gotten from, and no, this is not talking specifically about this, this PlayStation event I just went to, I'm talking industry-wide, 
when I talk to the people who are ultimately responsible for deciding yes or no on accessibility features, they are not disabled people. They Mm -hmm. are people who get in disabled consultants and will listen to some things they say and some things they won't. And they won't always entirely understand on a conceptual level what is important. And the philosophy going on in some accessibility design, and this is certainly not the case everywhere, but there are certainly companies where it's like, I feel like you needed not just like consultants on on the physical product, you needed big picture conversations about who does this include, who does this leave out, are you okay with disregarding these people's needs? And those kind of big conversations are interesting, uh, but yeah, it's... I I, want to be really clear, this is going to make PS5 definitely more accessible. If you have the need for like external peripherals, there are eight ports. If you if your needs are limited enough that you can that eight ports is enough, then yeah, you can use this as a hub solution and it will it will do the job. It's just there is a there is an edge case that exists that doesn't need to exist that frustrates me a little. Even as I look at it and go, I am personally excited to own this. Also, fun side note, I went in for an interview uh, at that PlayStation thing, and someone from PlayStation in the room was like, oh, oh, that's that's Laura, she makes really good videos about accessibility, and I got to be like, ha ha ha. Yeah, I mentioned one of my videos by name, I was like, yeah, I made that. That is excellent. So, yeah, I'm excited for this controller, I wish that I could, like, blanket say it's a step forward. Um... Yeah, what about you, Steph? What you been uh, what you been playing this uh, week? I played a couple of games. Um I guess the one I've spent the most time on is one called Elemental Survivors. Now can you guess what type of game it is? I won Tyson. Uh yeah, it is another one. It is another Survivor map, Vampire Survivors type game. One of the more straightforward takes on it. Uh it's developed by a wife and wife team who are sort of big on the queer rep, big on trans rights, so I I already had people sort of uh recommend it to me. And it is very cute. It is it's very cute. It is to role playing games what Vampire Survivors was to Castlevania. So it takes a lot of um RPG tr- uh tropes and tries to sort of put them in to the um basic uh, survival type gameplay um, a lot of characters and artwork um, heavily inspired by Final Fantasy and uh, Chrono Cross or Chrono Trigger the general differences here are you build a little party uh, you pick one character that's the main one which you'll give all of the weaponry to and, and build up but throughout a run little towns will pop up and when you go to town it'll offer you similar to how weapons are offered in these games it'll offer you a choice of party members and you can build a little party um, once you fully upgrade it you can get um, five other party members that will give you passive bonuses their own starting attack and sort of stat upgrades uh that's another difference is every character has stats very basic uh rpg ones you know strength vitality magic decks that kind of thing and the weapons have weapon scaling like like ability scaling so if you have a character that's got high decks you want to get weapons that have high decks 
and that's basically the 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 conceit that's the twist they've got on it pretty good it's in early access and so far there's a ton of content plays really nicely certainly had me hooked enough to keep me going back you know i've I've put many many hours into it and it's rock solid um couple of things that that they maybe want to look at is some of the some weapons are so clearly miles ahead of others that unlike something like the garlic in vampire survivors where you may still have a use for it uh it's not entirely useless there are some weapons in here where i'm like i see no cause to ever use this and that's especially true with the evolutions uh because of course the weapons can evolve and some of the evolutions are so inferior to the maxed out um unevolved weapon that there is no reason to choose it and there's a couple of weapons like that the most obvious is there's a a magic lance it's actually a trident but they call it a magic lance and that gives you just a big long trident that sticks out ahead of you and faces whatever direction you're facing and deals um constant contact damage on everything it touches and once you've leveled it up and raised your max stat it deals very respectable contact damage the evolved version takes that away and instead randomly drops lances down onto the screen that deals area damage and they're random so you lose the control and they're one shot attack so you lose the consistent damage ticks and it's just worse it's there is no reason i have currently to trade in this fully controllable point and deal damage constant damage uh attack for one that does random one shot damage there's there's no value in in trading that up um there are some other s- situations where it's just a simple matter of of damage output there are there are quite a few weapons that are very obvious late game damage dealers and in my experience so far way more that aren't um to the point where it is very easy to have a build that has multiple evolved weapons and you just don't feel like you're dealing damage like not enough to beat the enemies back or even collect more xp because unless you've invested in the radius um in game because uh, i'm not sure if there's a permanent passive for it um but if you've not picked up items or got the bear party member that, that increases your pickup radius you've got to practically touch everything to pick it up um and you can end up in situations where you're not dealing enough damage to take anything out and you can't upgrade the damage on the things you have because you can't get near the xp um so there's some balancing i think needs sorting out um it's led to some situations where there's one character that has a weapon that is so imprecise that it i i know out of a lie i had i scored one kill in three minutes and the rest of that is as with these games i'm just wandering around avoiding shit 
And I think I only got that killed because a town spawned and I got another character to do it for me. Um, <laughs> now, when I finally, I think the character is built so that when you finally get some XP, you get multiple levels at once. But, oh yeah. While I understand the whole week at first for a trade-off, like a, a trade-off in, in strength increase later, I think, again, the balancing's a bit off because it's not mm. enjoyable to spend three minutes on yeah. that. It makes me think of um, certain Vampire Survivors characters where you start with a weapon that by itself is basically not going to kill anything, like um, starting with the pentagram, that give you a level straight away so you can get a secondary thing to mitigate the fact that your primary does nothing. Exactly. Like, that feels like the sort of thing this is missing. Yeah, and I think that's the game's biggest problem right now is there's just a bunch of balancing that needs to be done because what they have is very good. It's got lovely music, cute visuals, the gameplay itself is fucking rock solid, and I I have had a lot of fun with it, but they do need to bring quite a few weapons up to par and deal with situations... Or, or mitigate situations where you're wandering around for minutes at a time feeling like you're doing nothing. I was in another situation where the 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 kind of endgame build I had wasn't super strong, but I had three party members that I just unlocked. And the way you unlock stuff in this game is you have to max it out in a game to permanently keep it. For party members, you've got to fulfill certain conditions such as have specific characters in your party on certain maps, and that will spawn a new character in town that you can then add to your party. And in order to permanently keep that character for use and uh, to be playable, you then have to max that character out in that run. I, had, I ended up in a situation where I had three new party members that I had to max out, and the 20 minutes had already passed... And I was not anywhere near leveling up, like maxing any of them out. And it takes six levels to max them out in a in a run. I was in that situation where I was not dealing a great amount of damage and was struggling to pick anything up because as soon as I did kill things, they were replaced by more enemies that got in, in the way of the XP. And it took 10 minutes. I managed to do it. I managed to get all three. And I was assuming at one point, like, because I was taking big damage and, and working really hard to avoid it. But I was at a point where I was like, I might only be able to get one or two if I'm very good characters out of this and have to throw one away. I did get all three, but it took ten very excruciating minutes. And they were excruciating. So that's the kind of stuff this game needs to look at, is rebalancing stuff. Because it is very good. It is a very good game. And when you pick the stuff that is already well balanced and already works well, happy days. Great, great time had. Um, but there are some weapons where I see no cause to use them. And I don't know if it needs addressing, if it needs fixing, but there is an interesting sort of risk element to the fact that weapons are tied to stats. It's a really interesting idea, and I really like it. But last night, I was in a situation where I had a character that was basically all strength. And the offerings I kept getting when I leveled up were magic. And you get a couple re-rolls, but I ended up in a situation where... And it was fairly early on in the run. 
I ended up out of rerolls and nothing but magic type weapons on a character that had a one in magic out of I think starting is like anywhere between one and 15 or something so like it was the dumpiest of dump stats so I just restarted the run because there's no I felt there was no point if it wasn't strength or dex there was no point putting it on this character so that's something else they might need to look at like maybe just skew it a bit so there's a maybe an increased likelihood of characters getting suitable weapons Um, but I do understand that you don't want it to be 100 percent you don't want it to be if this is a strength character they only ever get strength weapons because there might be a use for a a weaker uh, a a weapon they've got a weaker um scaling with but i think you want to kind of avoid situations where your your players are thinking there's no point to this run anymore but that was only this only happened once um and it's Something that's getting better and worse as I unlock new weapon types, because it just widens the pool. So it gives you more strength weapons to pick from, but then more potentially useless weapons as well. But early access and really like shaping up really fucking well for it. So this is definitely one of them ones where I'm very hopeful because they're still actively developing it. And what they have is pretty fucking high quality. And I think if they can look at those balancing issues, then you've got one of the ones that are, like, up there. Yeah. Yeah. You played anything else this week? Do you want to, you got anything else you want to talk about? Because I know we've got a time limit for your Yeah, I do have to be off today. in 20. Um, I did play some Dark Tide today. Um, yeah. I didn't know it had come out. Um, that's the Warhammer 40k equivalent to Vermintide, mm. which was the Left for Dead Warhammer thing with Skaven. Um, I've only played a bit so far. I've played a couple uh, goes of it. It's quite good. I've been enjoying it quite a bit. I think I'm going to invest um, a fair amount of time in it this week. Uh, it's very funny. That's one thing I noticed was the the characters aren't um, bespoke. Like you make your own face and give them their own name. But there are a couple voice options, and they have very strong personalities. And they gave the Psyker one option, which is a very sort of mad scientist stereotype German accent. And it's so stupid, but enjoyable. And they have the different character classes and their different voices have in-game dialogue together to discuss stuff and a lot of the banter is quite amusing the gameplay itself solid i went a bit boring with my class i just went with the veteran which is just sort of guns and grenades and shit but you can be a veteran which is your sort of imperial um soldier uh psychers which you're doing sort of your, your magic damage zealots which are melee and then ogrins which are your big sort of heavy tanks and then you just basically fight a bunch of chaos shit just cultists and and nurgle zombie things like throwing themselves at you i like it a lot i have not enjoyed how grindy a lot of stuff looks like there are microtransactions which already they're already sort of i find off-putting but i just want a helmet because all the character faces in the game are ugly and horrible and i just want to wear like a helmet with a faceplate on it and i think like the cheapest with a faceplate is like 30 50 thousand 
of this in-game currency. And after like two matches, I think I had 2,000. That's just to get one thing. And I just feel like it's going to be fucking excruciating. And if anything's going to stop me wanting to play it as much as I feel like I'd like to, it'll be that. Um, So early days, we'll have to have a look at it. But uh, yeah, not, not happy about the grind. But the gameplay itself, very fucking solid. And that is Dark Tide. Yeah. It's on Game Pass as well, by the way. So oh, okay. if, if it if it does pique one's interest, it is on there. Well, then maybe we should play a couple rounds because I, I do. We should. I want to play that, but I won't yeah. play it if I don't have someone to play it with. Oh, for sure. I could yeah. be up for that. Absolutely. Yeah. Cool. What about you? You've been playing anything this week, Conrad? Well, I'm I'm still into Stardew Valley, and I, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm not the sort of person who like pays attention to update notes and shit like that. And it is an eight year old game. Um, they had still been adding content to it, like actual big content, up to four years ago. So. I like there's a bunch of shit in this that I didn't even know was in this because I'd finished the main game content when it came out. Uh, there's a whole other fucking island in this game now that I didn't know about. Like a whole fucking island with a whole other fucking farm and and like currencies and and you can build a beach resort for the people in the. It is f- nuts how much shit is in this game and they are they're put i just saw a uh a news thing they're adding more multiplayer like they are doubling the number of available players you can get eight people running around in this fucking thing at once which hmm. is insane to me and uh and they're adding some more festivals so who cares but that uh, so there is so many hours of content in here on an already like massive game when i heard they were increasing the multiplayer and adding some festivals some like seven years after release i i don't understand i don't understand why are they doing this i'm grateful you know and they've certainly like found a a good brand and maybe that's part of it too to keep people some you know invested in because like they've got a board game which i really want now like badly have you seen this no i'm aware it exists but i haven't looked into it in much depth it's a cooperative board game up to four players you are trying to work together to keep joja corp out of the village yay yes please thank you they've they're in their third printing of this board game now i mean yeah you definitely answered your own question as to why they're keeping it up then yeah if it's been selling like other shit yeah that's i mean that's got to be it um but it is it's huge and i will probably still be playing it another month from now because of everything that's here additionally um, and really good. It's all really good and and fun. So it, it's more of the same, but just slightly different. You know, you've got to appease all of these parrots with golden walnuts. Uh, it's it's sold. Yeah, yeah. It's a neat, neat, neat bunch of extra content for an already fucking great game. So yeah, that's that's what I have been. That's what I've been playing is just 
pretty much that and and paint and models um yeah. I feel, yeah i saw one of your streams doing that it looked lovely oh well, thank you uh yeah it's it's coming along it, I'm, i mean i'm i am both rusty and yet doing a better job painting than i ever did when i was you know younger and painting actively so that's nice <laughs> um Aww. yeah yeah so that's been that's been good. I'm working through my Guar figurines, and because um, in 1999, like the two people who are most chiefly responsible for the creativity in Guar, one of them had to leave, or the other one probably mm. would have killed him. <laughs> yeah. And, um, but the one who left had been the one involved in this miniatures war game based on Guar. <laughs> that is. <laughs> Yeah, like they they figured out, hey, we should make skirmish level games because Warhammer's entirely too fucking complicated, and yeah. and they found a publisher who was of similar mind and had been working on a similar thing, and they made a Guar licensed game with all of the the figures as bandmates. You can find the rules for it online, and what was nice about it is that because this was a small indie publication, they were like fuck it, you're not going to buy our models. I mean, we'd like it if you did, and you should, but here are the rules to make any model function within our system. And <laughs> in the context of a Guar-based game, literally anything could be thrown into that mix and be fine. It would make thematic sense because nothing else in Guar does. And <laughs> uh, so you can get the rules. The miniatures are like, 40 50 bucks a piece fucking hell it's crazy absolutely crazy and so now i'm looking at this these things that i'm painting that i've had for you know 24 years and thinking gosh if i paint these i could sell them but i couldn't bear to part with them because they're my guar miniatures. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, don't don't sell your guar minis. And, and, guar minis. and there are a few I don't have and a couple that I uh that have gotten lost that I will never see again. They did an alternate of Slymenstra Hyman where she is um doing a collie thing. You know, with the whole the multiple arms and mm. you know, oh, and it's gorgeous. I had it and one of the pieces broke off of it and I wound up throwing it away or losing it. And I'm so pissed because it was a beautiful model and, uh, and I probably could have fixed it and I just didn't bother. And now I will never see it's like again, you know, I will probably never be able to get the Gorgor or Cardinal sin models, um, which, uh, Cardinal sin is the, the robot, leader of the holy warriors from outer space it is a very um very catholic <laughs> focused <laughs> thing it's it's pretty good they, they they need babies to fuel their uh war machines it's of course they of do of course they do of course <laughs> <laughs> yeah the mythos is uh that's that's the kind of lore i can get behind where it's just so stupid who the fuck cares um but anyway yeah so that's what i'm doing i'm painting guar minis and playing stardew valley um anybody else uh yeah i mean i 
dusted off the old recidivist malefactor but like just the hardware alone will take like an hour to discuss and each game itself like like race to the <laughs> bottom numb the pain will be an entire that could that's a whole segment so i'll have to push that off um i can say i i have a, had a go at the new forza following your discussion yeah. on it last week um I've only ever played one other Forza game before this, and I think it was yeah. the last one before this new one. And I remember I didn't play it very much. I kept meaning to go back to it because I really quite enjoyed it. And compared to this one, it this one seems so dull. Did was the last one a sort of break from the norm? I think I know what you've done here. There are two series of Forza games. There is Forza Motorsport, which is very dry racing on a racetrack. And there's Forza Horizon, which is open world silliness, ah. race against a train, race a plane, drive a warthog. So they're now two you're in a totally car. different strains. They of are game. two very different strains. Aha! Right. Yes. So what you want to be playing is Forza Horizon. That must be the one I played before, because that had all sorts of fun shit and music and... The most recent Forza Horizon was uh, about a year and a half ago, I think. Yeah. Forza Horizon 5. That was the one that you can play Hot Wheels tracks in it, where you're running a little Hot Wheels car doing loop-de-loops. Um, you can drive a warthog on a beach getting bombed at as a right. race. That's 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 the one you're thinking of. Because you see, my, my previous like coverage of Forza has only ever been like the shit Microsoft pulls with microtransactions. Because yeah. like yourself, I'm not a, a sim racer kind of person. Um, Forza Horizon, I got when my Series X was fairly new because I'd moved back to the UK where I'd managed to snag one. Downloaded it because it was on Game Pass. Played it a bit. Was like, this is quite fun. Then Forza Motorsport came out and, and that was very different so i didn't yeah. know a lot about i i only know the series history when it comes to its monetization uh not so much the gameplay so i was wondering oh was the one i played kind of a um like a burnout paradise thing where they took a break and now they're back to normal or honestly forza horizon is the more like if you picked up any random like newly released forza game it's probably a forza horizons like we we've had like they, they they release more frequently than Forza Motorsport does. Forza Motorsport you get maybe one of them per like console generation. Um, Forza Motorsport is there like probably two like I would I would hazard a guess to say like end of next year there might be another Forza Horizons. Like every couple of years they yeah. seem to do one. Aha! Uh-huh. Oh, I'll fucking just play forza horizon again then um, sorry for not for not making oh, no, it clear no, enough I'm... this one was going to be you doing laps of a of a gray racetrack <laughs> oh yeah no i i i'm glad you told me because i genuinely don't know a lot about forza um because yeah. yeah like i only ever really heard about the motorsport stuff so when i played horizon i was like oh wow no this is quite this is quite cool and then i i spent this morning playing some some of the new forza and i was like okay so i'm I'm guessing there's a certain type of person that finds this fun as yeah. as they kind of carefully put the brake <laughs> on to go around the corner to not skid out. I, I said this a little last week, but like my feelings are I can simultaneously be very, very glad that this game has the accessibility stuff it does going on, the assists it has for making it easier to not go off the track. This is the most I have ever gotten on well with uh, sort of serious on the track sim racer, while still going, 
I'd rather be playing Horizons, though. Yeah. I'd rather be doing, like, there's a man on a motorbike, and I've got to get to the other side of town before him, but also, he's going to jump off his motorcycle and paraglide the last little way, and I've got to go off-road and Fuck race yeah. him. See, that's good. That's fun. Um, and, you know, no one's wrong if they like motorsport, no. but I it's, don't it's, get it's it. It's not. It's not for me. I very much, I played it because I I was excited about the accessibility stuff it was doing and I got on better with it than I usually would while still going, fundamentally, I'd rather be racing against like, oh, you put a rocket ship on its side and I've got to somehow get through a forest before it reaches somewhere. Yeah. 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 And it kind of left me sort of with a bit of a void because I was looking forward to having like a bit of a a time on a really nice looking racing game. But as I was playing it, all I was thinking was, I want to just stop this and play the other one. So knowing that they're two very different series, which I didn't know, I thought they were kind of more connected than that. No, like, I hadn't realised quite how disconnected they were. I didn't realise that, like, they're two separate teams within the developer. There is an entirely different group of people making that racing game, and rarely shall the twain meet. So we'd, we'd probably share some high-quality car renders, but that's uh, about as far as it goes. It's not great branding. No! It's not great branding. And I, I had this conversation with someone, because I talked in my accessibility review of Forza Motorsport about the fact that I was a bit disappointed not to see Forza Horizon 5's um, uh, British and American Sign Language interpreters come back. And someone was like, well, it's a different development team. And I was like... That might technically be correct, but I'll tell you what my brain thought, which was, that was a Forza game a year and a half ago, it had a cool accessibility setting. Now there's a new Forza game, it'll probably have the same things, because things move in a linear line. Yeah. Like, in my head, they're both Forza. No, I literally looked for it this morning. I was like, where's the sign language? Not because I was going to use it, but because I remembered it and was i like to look at the accessibility settings anyway it was one of the first things that um my my lovely wife jane pointed out when i booted the game up i don't think i can be blamed for going you call them both forza in my brain they're both forza yeah and especially when it's like something like that where it's more it's not game mechanics or anything it's it's more the meta settings the the yeah you'd think you would expect that in the same named series, whether they're different teams or not. You yeah. would expect improvements to carry over. That that would be a place where they would communicate about some of those things as they're developing them. But yeah. So, yeah, yeah it's, it's confusing branding because it's like, sure, for a while, Call of Duty, you know, oh, by the way, Activision is a, a, an abuse farm, basically. Um, mm-hmm. You'd have your Modern Warfare's and your Black Opses, and yeah, they were sort of separate series by different teams, but they would build off each other for as much as that series has ever built anything. Yeah, it it does, it's the kind of situation where if someone with no other information tells you, I really like playing Forza games, I don't know whether I agree with them or not. Because like... I don't know if you mean the fun ones or or not. <laughs> See, I only I've only ever heard it in comparison to Gran Turismo in this respect. Yeah. In that uh Forza is the slightly less technical 
and an annoying yeah. racer than Gran Turismo is. Yeah. That's actually what surprised me about Forza Horizons, which I almost avoided because mm. I only ever knew Forza in that context, Conrad, in that it's a simulator. It's very dry. It's very... So I only took Forza Horizons um, for, a, for a try because I had Game Pass and had nothing to do the night I downloaded it. The messaging is not very clear in distinguishing the two of them. Well, and no, it's, it's one of those things, too, where it's not like, it's not like FIFA or the NBA. Mm. They made Forza up. It's, you yeah. know, yeah. it's not some other existing organization where it would make sense to have this is the license, this is the subtitle, you know? Yeah. I don't know. Horizons feels so sort of um, milk toast. Like it doesn't Yeah, I was just about to say, like, if it was Forza and then a more indicative name that suggested yeah. it was different. Yeah. But Forza Horizons really does sound like what you would say, what you would call a sequel if you didn't want to use a number. Yeah, the I get what they're going for. You're driving off into the horizon. It's an open world game. Do, do your big explore. I get it. I don't think it's good branding. Yeah. No, absolutely not. If it was, you know, Horizon... That Forza, or call it Horizon, call it Horizon call it. colon Forza or something like For, Forza, the one where you race a train. Yeah, like just give it a bit of a a more in like exciting, unique title. Horizons just sounds like we didn't want to call it Forza Six or something like that. Um, yeah. But yeah. Do you want to do your, your runoff? Yes. You head off? Uh, yeah, I'll do my runoff and then run off. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said earlier, check out True Grit Wrestling on YouTube. Look up uh, Commander Stephanie Sterling versus Kid Bandit in a no DQ match. Um, the most amazing, the, the greatest match I've ever been part of, and one of the most amazing matches, and a, a, a genuine history maker, a, a, a real historical match um, in, in sort of trans and queer wrestling. Check that out. Uh, Thegymquisition.com. Over there, we have a review up for El Paso Elsewhere, which we talked about last week. And uh, you read that along with the Baldur's Gate 3 review that's up. Um, my next wrestling date is October 10th. No, I keep saying that. I've said that for weeks, and it's the 11th now. October the 22nd is my next date. Uh, that's in Manchester. That's um, Sovereign Pro Wrestling, October 22nd. And then after that, October 28th is PCW. I'll be in Blackpool. That should be another no DQ match. Um, so that should be good. Uh, right. Thank you all um, for supporting. Uh, I will leave you in Lauren Conrad's capable hands while I go and do an meeting. Um, Lovely. Bye. Bye. What else have you played, Laura? Uh, oh, I played a few things, but I'm going to try and get through them quickly because we've got some news to yeah, do after a this. Lot of news. Um, I played a lovely game, uh, only about two and a half hours long. Maybe tack another like 45 minutes to an hour on if you want to like be completionist about it. It's called A Tiny Sticker Tale. Oh, I saw you playing this on your stream. Yeah, this is a game in which you play a little anthropomorphic donkey who has like a little uh, one-page sort of sticker sheet, and the gist is. Most things in the game world are stickers that you can peel up out of reality and keep them in your sort of limited space sticker book, and bigger things will take up more space on that page, to then sort of stick them back into the world on a different screen to solve problems. And it's a little bit of a Zelda-esque, like a very light one, um, adventure of 
go explore this sort of tile-based uh, world, you'll have very basic problems like, there's some rocks blocking my path. Cool, I've got to find someone who can block rocks. Okay, I found them. I peeled them up as a sticker. I'm not going to think too hard about the uh, existential reality of putting this human being on my sticker sheet. Take him over to where the rocks are. Oh no, he's old. He can't see at night. I've got to find a way to get daylight from somewhere else into this little square of the map. And it's just a charming little game about like going around helping people with their problems and trying to trying to make everyone have a nice little happy time. And uh, there is a decent amount of like off the beaten path um, side exploration stuff optionally. Um, there is a sticker album that anytime you find a new sticker for the first time, it keeps a record of it. And I like that there is a, a setting where it's like, hey, look, do you just want to know where stickers you haven't found for your album are? Uh, we will put like a little flashing thing on, on the map to tell you a square you can go to where there's something you haven't picked up yet. Oh, that's nice. Uh, to have recorded as a sticker. It makes being a completionist really nice. Um, but yeah, it's like two and a half hours long. It is not overly complicated. It's just a very wholesome little time. I had a very chill evening with it. It was good for the soul. I also started playing Whisker Squadron Survival. It's a Star Fox Vampire Survivors. Oh. Which is uh, an interesting genre. There are some, some aspects of how that functions that I didn't think about until I started playing that really do sort of change that Survivors format. First and foremost, you cannot go backwards, which means that if you shoot an enemy and kill it and it drops experience, you are constantly flying forward. If you don't get that experience, you can't go back for it. So that is like a thing that you have to keep in mind while playing is... Not just shooting, but like pathfinding in a way to pick up that experience as you're going. There's some accessibility stuff for like helping with a bit of aim assist, which I really appreciated. I've not put a huge amount of time into it, but so far you can't be wishy-washy about your build. You either are getting as many weapon types as possible, so you have like, you are doing damage just by sheer volume of things, or you're sticking with like very few things and powering them up a lot. There isn't much wiggle room for, well, maybe I'll power a few things sort of halfway up and have a, oh, I'll pick up a couple of extra things. You are either going widespread or very specialised and you have to kind of pick a lane. But I'm having fun with it. It is not as brutal in the early sections of runs as something like Vampire Survivors. It's not quite as balanced for, like, I got four minutes in on my first run and that's going to be the case for a few hours. Right. It's got much more of a... You're going to get in and do some, like, reasonable length runs from the start. But yeah, I'm curious where the ceiling is on it, but I, I know there is a demo available for it, but I've been playing it and having a decent time. Uh, last ones to quickly crack out. There is currently a demo on Steam for a game called Another Crab's Treasure, which is a Dark Souls game about you playing a hermit crab in a very colourful ocean, trying to purge the sea of microplastics. Uh, uh, soul. I love that. Right? That's delightful. Yeah, so first of all, it's really nice to have a colourful Souls game yeah. that isn't just grey and brown. They make a lot of fun use of the fact you are in the ocean uh, for gameplay mechanics. Things like if you do a double jump and then hold, you sort of kick your little legs under you to sort of float in the air for a while. Well, in the, in the water for a while, because you're sort of paddling your legs. I appreciate that there is a pretty pared back um, stats selection. Your selection of stats to level up are basically four stats. Damage, defense, health, and magic. I think I think that's the stats. It's basically that. There's also 
really nice accessibility stuff offer, offered, and this is like where a lot of people are talking about this game. It is definitive proof you can offer accessibility settings in a Souls game and it doesn't break the game. There are options for things like decrease enemy damage output, decrease um, enemy health, increase the parry window or the dodge rolls uh, invincibility frame window, or the accessibility setting most people are talking about, which is simply called Give Krill a Gun. Yeah. And it gives this little hermit crab a gun that's about seven or eight times the size of the hermit crab. And that gun will one-hit kill any enemy, no questions asked. So if you are just like, I am frustrated by the run back to this boss and I just want to, like, get to the boss, or this boss is just a roadblock and I am not having fun, I like, I got within a pixel of killing it and I'm just really frustrated and want it done, give Krill a gun, shoot it. Done. I love that. Right. There's some other little nice uh, twists they've got with this uh, stuff, like your armor and equipment system is just the trash you find in the ocean. Let's say you find a uh, little glass um, shot glass. That might have like very high defense against uh, incoming damage, but be quite brittle because it's made of glass. Right. So it's only going. It will block stronger hits, but only a smaller number of those hits. None of this gear is meant to be permanent. It is designed to be. In the heat of battle, grab something else because this one's about to shatter, jump into something else. Just sort of hopping between tracks. Like a hermit crab. Like a hermit crab. Uh, the demo is pretty beefy. There is like a half hour tutorial section and then an actual zone from the game as well that you can go play. Is a pretty substantial demo and I really like what they're doing. I will leave the last one till next week just because we've got a lot of stuff to do today still. But next week I'm going to talk about Detective Pikachu Returns because I have weird, fascinating thoughts about that game. But I'll come back to it next week. Mm. Uh, have you played anything else this week, Conrad? No, nothing nothing at all. Cool. Let's uh, let's let's go through all of the stuff we got this week because we've got a bunch of it. Um, there is a lot. Yeah, so let's, let's start with Bungie. Bungie is currently being sued for retaliation and wrongful termination by a former HR manager. Um, so this, Yikes. Yeah. That's a, like when, when HR turns on you, that is a yeah. Oh, it gets worse. I don't know if you know the story. It gets worse. No, I haven't. I haven't read it. So IGN was the first ones to report on this. So uh, Ingrid Alm, who was formerly Bungie's HR manager, um, filed a complaint in the state of Washington earlier this year. Alma alleges she was fired from Bungie after being asked to investigate a black employee who responded by saying he felt he was being racially targeted by his supervisor. Alm recommended Smith's supervisor receive diversity training. You know, a black employee has come to you and said, I, I'm being racially targeted. Right. The person who's allegedly done racial targeting should probably have some diversity training. She says her suggestion was met with hostility and denial. She was apparently told the supervisor had been there for a long time and was highly regarded, and her recommendation was denied. After that, Alm suggested terminating the employee who'd made the complaint. She says she disagreed on the grounds of, of uh, disagreed on the grounds of racial bias. She claims that she sought advice from Bungie's equity and inclusion director, who was like. It would be too risky to fire them, uh, and gave, gave them a written warning instead. Alm says her own supervisor was extremely angry. This, it all goes on, but basically she's claiming she was sort of forced to leave the company after pressure because she stood up and went, hey, this employee is being racially targeted. And 
She started looking for a replacement job, and shortly after that, her email and computer access were cut off, no explanation given. She was eventually told that the company had accepted her resignation, despite her having neither resigned nor wanting to resign. Oh, God. She refused to sign a document confirming she had voluntarily resigned. Bungie denies all of all of these claims. Like you would. Yeah, but it's important to note, uh, as IGN says, the studio offers no alternative account of Alm's events, only saying it lacks knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the truth or falsity of the allegations. Well, if anybody would have it, like, yeah, uh, it's you. You've got it. You had that's that's not it's not true. That's just a falsehood. You have the information. Now, it might be collective information spread across multiple people, but you have the information. So either you've done n- not even the most basic steps to investigate this issue, or you're lying. Those are the only yeah. two options, and neither one are good. Yeah, because here's the thing. If you're not going to offer an alternative account, the only account is... The HR manager went, hey, there's an allegation that this person did some raci- some racial shit. We should probably do something about that. And then someone higher up at Bungie was like, we accept your resignation that you didn't submit. Wow. Sign this to say it was voluntary. Like, they're not disputing or giving, like, a different version. They- they're not disputing that they-, they got rid of her. And they're not giving an alternative version of events where they didn't, like force her out without her choice and try and make her say it was voluntary. It feels like you would have, like, this would be the moment to go, nope, we fired her because of this. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, that's gonna be, there's gonna be a jury trial about that early next year, but, um, y- fucking yikes. Yeah, um, I mean, well, and it, it's, it, this is... You're looking at this article that you, yeah, you yeah. brought in. It reminds us at the end that this this woman came on six months after their HR had stepped down because of oh, an IGN yes. report about yes, Bungie's this, this was, boys club. This culture. was the boys club shit. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Good to see things are changing for the better. You know what? I will say this: good to fucking see an HR manager that seemingly was willing to stand up for the employee and not the executives to the point of being pushed out. There is an exception to prove every rule. Yep. It is very rare that there is an exception to the rule that generally HR is there to protect the executives, not to protect you. I'm glad there was was one. I'm sorry they were kicked. They were there to protect the executives. Okay, yeah, you're right. If the executive had... Given the guy diversity training, if the fucking yeah. asshole manager had just yeah. accepted the diversity training... If he'd have just sat through, like, a don't don't treat black people badly meeting for a couple of hours, probably. Yes, they would have avoided a lawsuit. Now they might have two. Like, that's... Yeah. Yeah, they were trying to protect the executives, and the executives chose not to listen. Yeah. Now, it's just coincidental in this case that it also served the best interests of the employee. Yeah. Yeah, that is that is fair. Um, yeah. So, let's move on from that to other fun. Let's talk about, um... Let's talk about Bioware. Oh, boy. So, yeah, there's been Imagine. a couple of stories about Bioware happening. 
Uh, where do we even start with this? Let's start with the fact that um, a bunch of Dragon Age staff are seeking further compensation after uh, getting laid off and uh, probably not being properly compensated for that. 50 staff were let go from Bioware back in August. Several veteran team members, you know, were, were included in those cuts. Lots of people lost their jobs. Uh, now a group of seven people, the average amount of time they've been working at Bioware each was 14 years, have requested further compensation from the company, with a payout calculated to take their years of service into consideration. Uh, I'm reading the quote here. In light of the numerous recent industry layoffs and the fact that Bioware's NDAs prevent us from showing any of our recent work on Dragon Age, Dreadwolf, and our portfolios, we are very concerned about the difficulty many of us will have finding work as the holiday season approaches. While we remain supportive of the game we worked so hard on and our colleagues continuing that work, we're struggling to understand why Bioware is shortchanging us in this challenging time. The group claims that their severance package amounts to unreasonably poor treatment, as they were significantly less than the one month of pay per year of service that the courts had previously granted other employees determined to have been terminated without cause. Basically, on average, these people have been there 14 years, I think was the the, the average. Uh, that would be a little over a year of, of uh, salary to terminate their, their contracts, to give them enough severance to find another permanent job in the games industry. We don't know what they were paid, but apparently the severance was considerably less than that. Honor your fucking contracts. Yeah. Yeah. On that note, we've got more uh, Dragon Age and layoff stories and poor treatment of workers uh, surrounding layoffs. A bunch of QA staff uh, unionized recently while working on Dragon Age Dreadwolf. All of the staff who formed that union have been laid off. This is according to a Polygon report that says that all 13 of those staff are no longer working uh, working, working there. They had a big fight around trying to form this union. Um, a lot of pushback was around like uh, try, uh, trying to get remote work kept in as something that would be made available. It doesn't seem like they were fired. They had a fixed-term contract, and Bioware did not renew any of those contracts for anyone who was in that union. And we can't say for certain that that's why they didn't do it, but... An entire union formed, and then none of them had a job anymore. The group's union, the United Food and Commercial Workers Canada Union, has filed an employment standards complaint for offering minimal severance. It comes up again. This is a separate complaint about minimal severance uh, for laid-off workers. So, cool. cool. That's not particularly neat. That's that's pretty rough. Yeah, it's, um, I mean, it's unsurprising that the first ones to go would be the people who represented the largest threat to the way yeah. the company presently does business. We will continue to see <laughs> these sorts of arrangements. And the, the industry has, has constructed itself to be very anti-organized labor. Um, that's, yeah. That's, it was designed ground up. With all of the lessons learned, and uh, they are doing their damnedest to prevent labor from organizing within their industry. And I, I mean, it's not sustainable, I don't think, to continue to mm. treat people like shit just from the experience drain alone, uh, the training costs alone, the churn. If you continue to drive talented people 
out of this industry, you will not have that knowledge and experience to draw from and and the industry will stagnate um, as you yeah. continue to take on the people who are willing to accept the low terms you're offering out of desperation um, until they can't handle it anymore and they leave and you just continue to drain out all of the human ability and talent and creativity that this medium is ostensibly built around. Um, so it's, yeah. I think it's long-term a bad move to fire unionized labor. Yeah. Um, but that's going to continue to happen. Indeed. Um, talking about unions, though, mm. we do have yet more video game unions forming. Mm -hmm. Um, a bunch of Polish developers, including members of CD Projekt Red, have unionized. This comes after a third round of layoffs at CD Projekt Red in the last three months. Basically, this is a this is not specifically as I've seen some people refer to it as a specifically a CD Projekt Red union. It is a union that's also formed with other Polish video game industry uh, companies. Good. It's harder for them to eliminate the unionized labor when the unionized labor is spread across many different companies. Yeah. Reading some quotes from the union. We started talking about unionizing after the 2023 wave of layoffs when 9% of Reds uh, Reds were let go. Uh, so that was around 9% of CD Projekt Red staff were let go, around 100 people. This event created a tremendous amount of stress and insecurity, affecting our mental health and leading to the creation of this union in response. Having a union means having more security, transparency, better protection, and a stronger voice in times of crisis. They are part of the wider nationwide union OZZIP. They are welcoming other game dev industry people to join them in the union. Yeah. Yeah. Good. Cross-company solidarity, unionize, you know, find the power where you can. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. You know, that's, that's great to hear, and I wish them all the best. Yeah. John, Rit John Riccatello's not at Unity anymore. I can't blame him. I wouldn't be either. No, no. Unity has announced the departure of its CEO, John Riccatello. Now, the way that this has been put, it's not clear whether, you know, officially whether he resigned or was pushed out, but a lot of backlash came at the company recently, and now uh, he's, he's going to retire. He will retire from all of his roles at the company. Uh, he's going to do so immediately. Who knows why, why it's happening, but we're going to find another CEO, and it's not going to be Riccatello. I so I think Riccatello certainly during his tenure prior to coming to Unity demonstrated very aggressive monetization approaches but I don't think removing him is going to right the ship at Unity it, it, there has been clearly some changes in the board uh, since acquisitions and uh, the mindset on the board seems to be that that's the right way to go. And it won't just be enough for Rich Ricitello to go out. I wouldn't even be, I wouldn't even be surprised if Riccatello was like, maybe this is too far. Judging by mm -hmm. the stock sales ahead of time and now walking away from it in response, um, I would not be yeah. surprised to learn that uh, 
he saw the writing on the wall and was making an exit strategy. This happens so quickly. Possibly. I, I will say this. I feel like if Riccatello Riccatello's departure had been announced as part of announcing the rollback of all the Unity ship, I think that would have done a better job of reassuring people stuff was changing than him quietly slinking out two weeks later. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I think that this is this timing is not the timing you use or the way you do it to go, Riccatello's leaving, everything's better, please come back. Yeah. So that that definitely does paint a bit of a picture on, on that departure, but yeah. In other news, don't even worry about the sexual harassment allegations about Ubisoft anymore, Conrad. You don't oh. have to worry about them anymore. Oh, I don't, I don't have to worry about them. No, you'd have to worry about them because oh Ubisoft God. says it's on the right path now. Oh, good. Oh, I'm so glad it's on the right path now. Yeah. Yeah. So this uh, this this quote uh, comes from the Games Industry HR Summit. Ubisoft's chief people officer, Anika Grant, said that the company is now on the right path following, you know, the some changes they've made after the allegations. It's fine now. It's it's we're on the right track. We're we're on the right track now. So you're you've replaced all of the executives in the company. No. Oh well, then. <laughs> like uh, I I like this. Progress has been been made. We're on the right path. This sort of vague language to suggest that they've done things. So here's the thing. To quote Anika Grant here, uh, we had lost the confidence of our teams, admitting that HR was considered to be part of the problem. Yeah, all correct so far. This Eurogamer article then notes, the company made changes to its internal reporting system and code of conduct, and it has mandatory training for all employees yearly. And then the evidence is citing improving results on employee surveys suggests that they're on the right path and progress has been made. Now, we don't know how much those survey results of employee satisfaction have improved. Let's say they were at like 1% satisfaction and then they're now at 2. That would be an improvement. That would say they're on the right path and progress has been made, I suppose. Like, it doesn't say that things are good now. It says that by one internal self-reported metric, a number went up slightly, which means we are trending up. It is less bad for somebody who is scared to tell you the truth about what's happening. Well, yes, because this is the thing, is we've talked about the fact that, like, external companies that came in and did surveys that were not Ubisoft running them themselves, and what was, you know, found during those about a year after the harassment stuff, was that sentiment was nothing has really changed. And a lot of frustration and going, if that didn't change anything, nothing's going to. Hmm. And it seems like that might create a situation where fewer people speak up because nothing happens when you speak up, and the result of the survey results are no longer going. Everything needs to change, and going. Why would I put that on my survey? Nothing's going to change. It feels like that could account for some of this, yep. and it feels like there is a lack of transparency about, like you say, survey results have improved. Be transparent. How much have they improved? Where, where is that bar at now? What percentage of your company feels okay working there now? Um, beyond this, we'll we'll try and get through a couple of uh, other quick ones. 
Disney's uh, boss, Bob Iger, is apparently being pushed to acquire a major video game publisher, such as EA, according to a Bloomberg article. Apparently, his, like, second-in-command people are trying to get him to consider a bolder transformation of Disney from gaming licensee to gaming giant, which could be done by just buying up EA. That is a suggestion that has been made to Bob Iger. They've tried this before, many times. Yeah. Why are we... Uh, look, I do think that's that's inevitable. Uh, maybe not EA. They might buy Ubisoft. Disney will continue to swallow up yet more companies and become the huge amalgam that is the entertainment industry. Yes, yes, it, they they will they will continue to absorb more and more entertainment media companies, and and they have to do it in some other places because there's only so many uh, things that they can buy in film and television uh, that they they're going to mm. need to to branch out. So, yeah, look forward to that. I would not be at all surprised to see either EA or Ubisoft to be swallowed up by... And, and Disney's yeah. one of the only ones that could do it. My view of this is EA is already making licensed games of Disney properties and that might make it appealing. Mm -hmm. Whereas Ubisoft clearly fucking wants to be bought by someone. They want to be bought. They have a huge international uh, thing. They have a film studio. They have strong brands. They have the UK uh, streaming rights to Call of Duty. Uh, well, there you, know, you go. Appealing, yeah. 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 But no, Ubisoft has a lot. Like, Ubisoft could be a great company were it not for its management. I wish it were easier for me to uncritically talk about Ubisoft stuff. Because as I routinely point out, they are like one of three companies in the games industry like making a real good effort on accessibility. And it's it's awkward to be like, I don't like what your executives are doing, but you are doing some really important stuff and that's complicated. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Fix your shit. Get bought out by someone who kicks out all the shit people. But the, nobody does that. No, they don't. I know. <laughs> uh -huh. You know, one can dream. Right. And last up, we'll sort of finish here. Uh, by the end of this week, that Microsoft Activision Blizzard King uh, deal might finally go through. Uh, it is contingent on the UK's CMA finally, like, you know, signing last bit of paper, but they are, you know, they've signaled they're likely to do so. By the end of this week, it might be done and out the way. Well, congratulations, I guess. They won. I mean, did they win, though? Because I'm about to tell you this next story, and it doesn't sound like Activision Blizzard King won at all. Oh? Uh, when I read you this next story. Activision Blizzard King staff were trapped in a meeting yesterday, hosted by Bobby Kotick and James Corden. Oh, no. Oh, why would you do that? Right? No. Why would you, why would you do run, that indeed? People, run. Shit, I thought things were bad at <laughs> Ubisoft. <laughs> yeah. So this was a, a town hall meeting for Activision Blizzard employees for some reason co-hosted by Bobby Kotick, and I don't know why, James Corden co-hosted Because James Corden doesn't this. have anything else to do now. Because... Like, his show's done, he's, you know, just bumming around, like, gonna hang out with his pal Bobby K. Hey, Activision Blizzard King, I better not see you lay off a single fucking member of staff if you have higher J James Corden money. You didn't need to hire James Corden for a meeting. You could have saved that money and not laid people off, you know. I mean, there's, that's probably a salary. <laughs> right, right. Like, at least a QA salary. <laughs> yeah, 
Like, we could talk about what came up in the meeting, like, they implied Guitar Hero might be coming back and stuff like that, but the the main thing that blows my mind about this is reading through the description of this meeting is that the picture that's painted of this, of James Corden having to pretend that he understands the corporate business of Activision Blizzard and is here just as a an interested third party... Because there's, there's, I'm gonna read a, I'm gonna read a, a, a sentence here. When asked by James Corden how Activision will retain the company's culture while part of Microsoft, Kotick responded, and "I'm like, how is there a world in which you make it seem natural that James Corden is like, right, Bobby, how are you gonna c- maintain your company culture <laughs> through this merger? I definitely great. know why I'm here." <laughs> <laughs> I'm just imagining James Corden being so invested in com- in company culture, right? That's the way and the it's company being culture presented. of Activision in specific. Like he deeply, right. deeply cares, right? That's that's the reason I put this story on the docket. Is I'm trying to, in any way, understand what that 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 tone felt like in oh. that moment. So. There you go. Hey, we Bobby, it, but... how are you going to retain the company culture in light of the Activision Blizzard King merge? Because here's the thing. In my head, it's not James Corden. It's James Corden in his cat outfit from Cats is asking it. I don't know why that's how how it is in my head. It's He's being the fat cat that eats all the food. I'm imagining him and Bobby Kotick doing carpool karaoke. <laughs> And that's just like the casual <laughs> chat break in between them doing like dirty deeds done dirt cheap. <laughs> so yeah, there we go. We're we're we, we freedom is reached. We we did it. Oh well, Laura, <sighs> you you are continuing Me? to do it. I am, and and the people want to see you do it. Ooh, I mean, if they want to, where can the people see you do it? If, if they want to see me do it, they can see me do it at Laura K. Buzz, pretty much everywhere. Uh, Twitch, Twitter, YouTube, TikTok, Patreon, that's the one that pays the bills. Mastodon, Blue Sky, all the all the places. Uh, you can uh, you can get Stories of Autistic Joy. It's releasing on October 19th. That is not the day this episode goes up, but next week's episode goes up the same day as that book goes live. It is just a book full of a bunch of different autistic people from around the world you know, unique experiences of joy that are connected to being autistic. I am super proud of this book. I hope people check it out. Uh, November 28th, Gender Euphoria, a very similar book about trans stuff. It's going to be an audiobook. You can get it anywhere that audiobooks happen to be, including libraries. Libraries will have stock of it. You can you can just borrow it from a library or you can pay for a copy and own a copy. All sorts of options will be available. Uh, the big one I will point people at is... The day this episode goes live, I have a nearly half-hour-long video about the uh, PS5 access controller going really in-depth on a lot of the nitty-gritty of it, and um, the interviews I had with PlayStation people, and like the big-picture thoughts I have about that controller and how it fits into the ecosystem. Please go give that video a watch. I've worked really hard on it. I'm super proud of it. Over on YouTube.com slash Laura K. Buzz. What about you, Conrad? Oh, you can find me at Conrad Zimmerman on Instagram and Blue Sky. You can hang out with me on Twitch, where I am painting the minis and and generally just chilling. There's a lot of chill vibes there at twitch.tv slash that Conrad Zimmerman. 
You could buy anti-capitalist propaganda and official Jimquisition merchandise at mercenarycreative.com. And everything that I do online gets supported through Patreon at patreon.com slash fistshark. And you know who else has a Patreon? Who? James Stephanie Sterling does. That's patreon.com slash Jimquisition. They mentioned their wrestling dates earlier, I think August 22nd and August 28th. But, you know, you'll just go back and re-listen to that, I'm sure. Yeah. And I think that does it for us, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it does. Okay. Uh, yeah. Bye. Bye. <laughs>